Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Good morning, good morning. My name is Mike Holba. Um, I was a pastor in Ripon for 20 years at Ripon Community Church. Um, I've spoken here, I, I think, three or four times before. So as you guys came in, I, I have met some of you before. Some of you are brand new. Hi. It'd be fun to chat with you afterwards for a minute just to get to know you a little bit. Um, I've known Aaron um, pretty much his whole life since he was a little boy. Aaron worked with me at RCC for seven years, about seven, eight years before he came here to launch center point with you guys. Aaron and I are really close. I scared the snot out of Aaron last night though. I was in Miami for a work assignment and the flight kept getting delayed to the point where I thought it was going to be canceled. So I, I called Aaron late last night and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> and uh, he was in a bit of a panic trying to figure out a plan, but last minute they changed the flights around and I ended up arriving back in Milwaukee at 1.30 this morning to be able to make it here. So if I nod off in the middle of the sermon, just holler out some stuff or whatever, wake me back up and I'll be fine. I said I was at RCC for 20 years. That, that's true. I love RCC. It was a, just, it couldn't, the 20 years couldn't have been better. It was just amazing for me. Um, but after about 20 years, I felt God said I should leave and do a, a different ministry. So I moved to Slinger, which is about a half hour south of here, and opened up um, a counseling office, a Christian counseling office. It's called Academy Consulting where we counsel adults, teens, couples, and I love it. I've been doing that for about a year. And then additionally, I do some leadership work. I work with churches and businesses, actually, um, to be better servant leaders. So whether it's a manager of a business or owner of a business, to be a better servant leader because God blesses servant leaders, God blesses businesses when you lead God's way. As part of that, it's kind of crazy, right? Like you wouldn't think a pastor or an ex-pastor would have an impact in businesses, but it's amazing how, I don't know, accepting people are of God and of truth, even in a, in a secular world where, you know, you're not really supposed to be talking about God all the time. The reason I was in Miami for the weekend was uh, there's a, a new show coming out. Hopefully, they're, they're trying to make it come out. It's called um, The Great American Speak-Off. And it's just like American Idol, but instead of for singers, it's for speakers. And I was asked to be one of the, the judges for that. And um, they announced us coming on stage beforehand. They introduced all the judges. And there's hundreds of people in this big room. And uh, they announced me as a, a former pastor. And I, was, I didn't like that because I thought people then wouldn't want to work with me because they thought it would be too churchy or whatever. And it was so cool because so many people in that crowd came up afterwards and actually wanted to work with me because I was a faith-based person. And, and what I'm, why I'm sharing that with you is because as I speak to you today, as I try to encourage you today to live a faithful life, don't be afraid to live it everywhere. You know, in, in, in the world, in social media or whatever, oh, you're never supposed to talk about God. You, you can talk about God. You can talk about your own faith. You just don't have to push things on other people. That's the key. And people are super receptive. So I want to say that to begin because I want to encourage you today not just to listen at a church on Sunday, but to live your faith all week long and you'll be shocked at your coworkers, at your friends, or whatever. If you do it humbly, no one has a problem talking about God. You guys began this series, Parables, I, I think last week. I know just recently it's a summer series for you guys. Parables are essentially stories that Jesus told. That's all they are. But they're stories that he told for a purpose. They're stories that he told to teach people. Essentially, most of the parables are given to us 
um, to see how more properly to look at ourselves, how to see ourselves, and how to see other people. That, that's, the, that's the most parables are, 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 that's their purpose. This week, this parable is more about how God looks at us. And for me, I love that. Because uh, I'm a little bit old, I've been following Jesus for a long time, even like was a pastor and everything. But sometimes you just don't know. What is God thinking? Why is he doing this? How does he see me? Sometimes, no matter how much you read, no matter how many times you go to church, you're not really sure. So I like when I find a piece of scripture where it describes what God's actually thinking. That's what this parable does. It's exciting. So imagine for yourself, if you knew better, what God thinks of you. Now, you might be a little afraid of that, right? Like, oh no, you know, he thinks this or he thinks that. I'm here to tell you God thinks amazing things about you. God sees you as a masterpiece. God sees you with a future. God has hope for you. God has purpose for you. And too often in the world, everyone's given us like, God's this big angry judge up in heaven. God's not a big angry judge up in heaven. If everyone's ever told you that, if you ever went to a school or a church or whatever that told you that, they weren't talking from the Bible. God thinks the world of you. God wants to encourage you. God wants to help you. God understands you have weaknesses, and that's okay. So with that in mind, think today, like, wouldn't it be great if I knew exactly what God was thinking? Wouldn't it be great? What could I do? What could we do as a church family if we knew what God thought of Centerpoint? How could we impact all of this community around you? How could we impact the world if we knew exactly what God was thinking about us and what he wanted from us? So today, we're going to explore our own identities before God as we look at the parable called the Farmer Scattering Seed. It's in the book of Luke, and I, I just love the parables. Like, if I could teach about anything, it would be the parables, because for me, it's just fun studying Jesus' words. Like, Jesus' words in most Bibles are red. When it's red words and I'm reading them, they're just special to me. I, I, I can kind of picture the setting, and Jesus is speaking, and, and those are words he said. Jesus, I love it. I love the red letters, and I love parables. But usually, when you read a teaching from Jesus in Scripture... You have to figure out afterwards, like, well, what did it mean? How do I apply it to my life? What, what am I supposed to think? And that can be tough to figure out sometimes, even if you went to seminary, even if you've been going to church your whole life. Sometimes you, you read the Bible, and it's just like, I'm not, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do about this. Some people think this. Some people think that. Often, you know, there's different interpretations or whatever. What am I supposed to think? I love this parable so much because not only does Jesus teach afterwards, he explains what he taught. He tells you exactly what he means. You can't possibly screw it up. And I just like that. I like things that are straightforward. So this is the story that Jesus teaches, and then he gives instructions about how to understand it. But even as I say that, I have to make a small confession. I'm not always the best with instructions. I'm not always the best with instructions. I'm just not. So when we buy something at our house that comes with instructions, the first thing, you can be certain I'm not reading them. I'm just not. Is anyone else the same? Where you're not, what, you all read instructions? No way. Come on, it's church, be honest. All right, so, the, all right, some people are saying, I don't like instructions. I don't like instructions either. The negative side of that is I've been married for a really long time, and my wife, Janet, she loves instructions. She loves them. So if I put something together, there's two things that will always happen if I put something together. Number one, there'll be extra parts left over. And she'll be like, where does that go? I don't think you need it. I think it was a spare or something. I don't know. 
And she's a super smart girl, so she's like, ah, it's not a spare. Does the thing actually work? And then number two, somehow, this is ridiculous, but somehow I'm always bleeding. I'll jam the screwdriver into myself or something. Something's bleeding. There's parts left over. And at times, it has led to arguments. She'll say, what do the directions say? And I'll say, what directions? Well, then she'll show me. I asked her this morning to grab out some instructions that we have in the home to like put stuff together, how to operate things. This is them. This is them. There's so many. She puts them in these Ziploc bags so she never loses them. And uh, like, hold on, this is like, wait, 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 hold on. Those, she's probably gonna be ticked, she's in the crowd that I've dumped these, but like, this is the, the owner's manual. I don't know, it's like 40 pages. Well, half of it's Spanish, so I, I, no bueno, I don't read that. So what do you, all the languages, I don't know. I know how to ride a bicycle, I don't need that. This is the printer, this is the printer at her house. 87 pages. This is the snowblower. Oh, who needs instructions for a good grips slicer? Like a tomato slicer thing? There's an instruction manual for that. Who needs that? Uh, frigid air, dehumidifier. What is this? Uh, another computer thing. Do y'all read the instruction books? Yeah. Who reads them? Okay, so none of, you, <laughs> none of you ignore the instructions, but none of you read them either. This is a participatory service. So, so at some point, you're going to be asked to raise your hand unless you just refuse. Because sometimes we don't even want to follow that direction, right? So we've learned. We've been married 33 years. We've learned very simply. Something comes or is purchased or is sent, like we buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, shows up from Amazon. We've learned. Here's how it works. The, the package arrives. I generally am the one to bring it in the house. I put it on the kitchen counter, and then I announce, a package arrived, and then I leave. And as long as I stay out of the room that she is in, we're golden. She'll put it together. It will be perfect. I don't got to think about it. I don't got to worry about it. She's happy as a clam. I'm happy as a clam. You learn these types of strategies when you're in a loving relationship for many years. You figure out how to do things together, right? And that's our style. I leave the room. We're both super happy. She'll read directions about anything. Google Maps, recipes, all weird, right? It's kind of, she likes it all. I, I wouldn't read a recipe to save my life. I just grab some stuff in the kitchen, try to figure it out, mix it up. And I always think it comes out good. When it comes to maps, this is so stupid. If it's a mall, I never know which way I came out of the store. It's like you're going down the mall, right, and you go into whatever store it is, and when I come back out, I can never, like, I have to start walking until I realize, wait a minute, I've seen these stores before. This isn't a joke, this is true. When I stayed, like this last weekend at the Hotel Miami, um, when I leave my room, I never remember which way the elevator is. I'll start walking. And is, does anyone do that? A couple of you, thank you for your honesty. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. In a building, I don't know, but if you put me in the woods or on a... I can, there's, there's lakes. I used to fish in bass tournaments all over the country. There's lakes. I can go to a lake in Texas right now and go right back to the same stump three feet under the water that I caught a fish on 10 years ago. And it's like 10 miles from the ramp. And it's not a problem. So I don't know what my deal is with instructions or directions. I just can't do it. I can't. Do you know about sea turtles? This is amazing. Sea turtles, can I get the picture? Oh, it's already up. Well done, you guys. Sea turtles are born in the sand on a beach. Sea turtles then crawl into the ocean as little babies when the eggs hatch, and they travel like a thousand plus miles in their lifetime. A thousand miles. Ten years later, 
they can show back up at the same exact spot they were born. No instructions, no map, no landmarks. They're not like peeking up out of the ocean and looking for you know, like some hill or something. They can come right back to the same spot. They don't need directions. Neither do I. What about you? What about you? If you're a direction follower, once again, raise your hand. If you hate directions and never follow them, raise your hand. In all the people that didn't raise their hand at all, you're just like me. You won't even follow the directions from stage, will you? I'm not raising my hand. I know you're out there. I don't care because I'm the same way. I, I was at King Country. Did anyone go to King Country at State Fair concert? No? It was really good. King Country, great Christian group, was really good. But here, me in the crowd, I can't do even what they suggest from stage. Like They're like, everyone wave their hand. I'm not waving my hand, son. Hold up your phone light. I'm not doing that. I just can't, and everyone around me is, and I don't mean to be a jerk or anything. It's just really hard for me. The first thing in me is like, I just, I just don't want to do that. So it's okay if you're that way. But when it comes to my own happiness, my own eternity, the eternity in lives of people that I love, then I want some instruction. To me, that's important enough to receive the instruction. For the life and death stuff, I need it because the world is too dark. The world is too difficult. Life is too difficult to go through it alone without any instruction. It's just tough. So hopefully you have a good church. Hopefully you have good friends or family that you can share your life with and get advice and share and you give them advice. That's great. Super healthy. But life as a recipe, life as an instruction manual, it's just too complicated. It's just too painful. So I love when Jesus gives me instruction. I just do. That's how I'm wired. I, I, I think Jesus is amazing. I think God's amazing. So when it's super clear, like not the stuff that you're not quite sure about, but the super clear stuff, I just love it because I can't possibly screw it up. It came right from Jesus. There's no debate. There's no two ways to see it. There's just, there just is. And there's portions of the Bible that are like that, that there's really no debate over. I love that. Have you ever tried to figure out who you are before God? Have you ever sat and wondered just exactly what does God think? Jesus gives us really clear instructions. They begin in Luke 8, 4. It says, One day Jesus told the story to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. This parable is also in Matthew's gospel as well. And in Matthew, he describes the crowd that Jesus was speaking to as immense. Immense. So picture hundreds or whatever, thousand people or whatever, this immense crowd. It tells us that Jesus also spoke from a boat. So maybe it's something like this. I don't know, right? That's an old style boat that they used back at that time. Maybe it was something like that. And he's floating out there. Kind of, I mean, I love boats, I love fishing. I think it'd be cool to speak from a boat. But he, Jesus actually was into fishing too, but that's not why he used the boat. Generally, back then, and, and even later years, if you spoke from the water, and you know it if you've ever been on a lake, you can hear people talking across the lake, or you can hear them in a boat. Sometimes they don't even know you can. Voices reflect off the water. So a great amphitheater back in the day would have been on the water, sound reflects, and then people sat on hillsides because it was kind of like a stadium back then, a natural stadium. So you can picture Jesus speaking like that. He's in a boat, he's got this stadium full of people, stadium built by God, lake and a hill, and he sets their minds right. This is what he says. Begins in verse 5. Luke 8, 5. 
A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone who hears, any, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So the words call out. He's hollering. That's calling out, right? Jesus is on the water, in the boat, hollering to this crowd, anyone with ears should listen. That's Jesus. That's the picture that should be in your mind. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. If you think about that, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. Just think to yourself for a moment. Don't holler out. What do you think the most important word is? What do you think, for, just for you, what do you think the most important word is? As I ran myself through this exercise, the first one I came up with was anyone. Because that's so cool. Anyone then, anyone now can have a relationship with Jesus. You've been sort of naughty. You did some stupid junk. You're doing some stupid junk right now. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Anyone. I'm part of anyone. You're part of anyone, and so is anyone in that crowd. So I thought anyone was the coolest word there. But then I thought some more about it, and as I read through, I thought, well, here is pretty good. Listen. Huh. Well, you're supposed to listen to Jesus. You're supposed to understand Jesus. Understanding is even better than listening. I thought that was really, okay, it's understand. It's not anyone that's understand. And then I thought, no, it's willing. For me. For me, the important word is willing. I'm not always willing to listen to Jesus. Not always. But he says very clearly that anyone who is, you will understand if you're just willing. So I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how many times you've read the Bible or not or been to church or whatever. As you sit here this morning, if you're willing to listen, you will understand Jesus because Jesus will help you understand. That is a gift from God. He will help you figure it out. That's beautiful. So you have to think to yourself right now, am I willing? Am I really willing to hear Jesus? Am I really willing to adjust my life to what Jesus says? Because it is a choice. He doesn't assume that everyone's going to listen. He knows not everyone's going to listen. So I encourage you to be willing or at least curious because his disciples, they were curious. It says in verse 9, his disciples asked him what the parable meant. So they weren't some kind of genius, some biblical scholar who understood every word of Jesus all the time. They were like you and I. They were curious. What does it mean, Jesus? Just like you've probably thought at different times in church or at home or wherever, right? What does all this mean, God? It's a good question. Willing and curious. So if you're willing or at least curious, stick with me. Stick with me because we're going to look at now how Jesus explains the parable. It's in verse 11. Jesus says, the me this is the meaning of the story. The seed is God's message. So the seed is God's message. It's God's desire to be in a relationship with you. That's the seed. That's the message. The message is, if we follow Jesus, just the best we can, nobody's perfect, but if we follow Jesus, we're adopted by God into God's family forever 
you can't screw it up. That's the seed. That's God's message that Jesus came to share with us, to explain to us. It's summed up really well in another book. It's in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, Jesus, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Well, that's nice. What? Okay, so Jesus is amazing. Everyone thinks Jesus is amazing. Not just Christian people. Go around the world and ask people, oh, Jesus, he's an amazing teacher. He was a wonderful man. He was so good. Everyone thinks Jesus is amazing. Even if they don't follow him, you, you can't help but look at his life and say, wow, amazing. If we follow Jesus, we become part of God's family, though. So it's not just looking at him going, wow, he's so great. It's the attempt to follow his teaching, to be willing to follow his teaching. It says they're reborn. I won't ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but did you ever hear the term born-again Christian? It's not said so much these days, but when I was young in my, in my teens and 20s, that was like a really big phrase. Someone was a born-again Christian. I always thought they were weirdos. I didn't know what the phrase meant. Whenever they were depicted like on a TV show or something, they were always weird. So as a teen growing up, I didn't want any part of that. Born-again weirdos, no. I don't want that. But this is what it actually means. It's not some weird phrase or description. It's just Jesus. It's a phrase, they're reborn, meaning they just become a new person. When you begin to follow Jesus, when you're walking with Jesus, God sees you as a brand new person. You're a brand new person and you're part of his family. So you're loved like a daughter or you're loved like a son of God. You're a new person. So the whole born-again thing, it's not weird at all. It's actually cool. I become new to God as I follow Jesus? Yes, I want that. That's God's message. That's God's seed that you can be reborn. So now that we understand what the seed is, let's go see now in the parable what happens is God or Jesus scatters that seed or that message to the world. Because only one of four things happens, says Jesus. And it happens for every single person. So you now can think about yourself. You can think about your family, coworkers, your friends. It's happening for all of us. One of four things. Jesus describes each type of person as soil. It's a farming reference. Because when Jesus taught, he used things that people would understand at the time. Farming, fishing, those sorts of things. Parties of the time. They, he, they understood what he was talking about because they understood the context. That's why I teach the way I do. That's why Aaron teaches the way he does. He might use a movie clip or a song or anything that's culturally relevant. He's not doing that to be cool. He's doing that to teach just like Jesus. I know, he's told me, and I was challenged the same way too back when I was at RC, like, oh, that's wrong, you shouldn't teach like that. What, teach like Jesus? Jesus told a story about fishing or farming or whatever. Aaron shows something culturally relevant as well because that's how Jesus taught. And wherever you go, you should look for people who are following Jesus, emulating Jesus. Wherever you go. It doesn't have to be here. It can be any good place. Not even at churches sometimes. Even in businesses. Right? You might have an owner or a manager or whatever that's really trying to exemplify servant leadership. That's the place you want to work. I know we're not all in that situation, but if you can be, 
That's amazing. And that's, that's why I'm so excited about helping businesses. So, they go on to explain. Luke 8, 12. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but then the devil comes and steals it away and prevents them from believing and being saved. Jesus here, he's just talking about hard, impenetrable soil. And, and you've maybe done it if you've ever planted anything. You know how that is. He's comparing it to people who are hardened and spiritually impenetrable. Like they're just not going to think about or talk about anything related to faith. They're like, I hate religion. And I always say, so do I. Religion. We're not talking about religion. Religion's like man's way to try to understand God. They write it all up and they tell you you've got to think it like this. That's not what Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about faith. But there are people that are being hardened. They've had bad experiences most likely. I had some as well growing up. And you just don't even want to hear about it anymore. God talks about those people in this verse. That's the first type of person. Now, instead of today maybe talking about farmers or soil, we could compare it to like calling a friend who just never calls you back. Right? You get the voicemail every time, you leave a message every time, and they never call you back. Some people do that with God. God's constantly reaching out and giving you signs. Go look at a sunrise once. Go look at a rainbow. Go look at a sunset. Go, I mean, for me, I'm into nature. Go, go take a walk in the woods. Tell me you don't see God. See a bunny running through the woods. Are you kidding? Scientists, artists, everyone combined can't make a bunny. Thousands or millions of years maybe later, no one can make a bunny. God makes a bunny. You must see that as you walk through the woods. It's everywhere. Jesus is saying here that simply hearing the message about him doesn't save you. It doesn't make you part of God's family. You have to be open. You have to be like fertile soil. You have to be open to listen to it, to hear, to understand. Willing. Willing. Willing is the response God is looking for. Essentially, you just got to pick up the phone. Like with a friend who's calling, you got to pick up the phone or at least call him back. That's how God is with us. Just like you'd begin a relationship with anyone else. Too many people treat Jesus or treat God kind of like a telemarketer, right? Now, as a kid at home, right, there's a, there's a phone in the kitchen. There was a long, twisty cord. Did you ever have that? Where you'd hold it and the phone would untwist, right? And that was it. And the phone would ring. And, and I, as a kid, I would hope, like, maybe it's for me. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe I'm going to go play baseball, whatever. And you run to the phone, and you're just hoping it's for you because you had no clue who it was. Later, as I became an adult, and they first had, like, answering machines and cell phones and all that stuff, I mean, cell phones are great because it's cordless. You don't, have, you don't have the cord anymore. But they came out with caller ID, right? And, and I was married when they came out with caller ID. And one of the words they used way back then, I don't remember what phone service it was or anything, it would say caller unknown. Has anyone ever seen caller unknown on a phone or something? Yeah, me too. My wife, I'd say, who is it? And she'd say, it says caller unknown. And I would say every time, Unacceptable. That was our little thing. I, if I didn't know who it was, I wouldn't answer. I wasn't interested in talking to someone. I had no clue who they were. Jesus is saying, if you're not interested in him, not only will you not have a relationship with him now because you don't want one, you won't need eternity either because you don't want one. Not because he doesn't want you. Not because you're too naughty. Not because you made some mistakes. Not because you got some crazy thoughts that don't perfectly align with other people's crazy thoughts. That's not why. 
He just says if you're not interested, if you're not willing, you can't be in a relationship with him now or ever. And then he goes on in Luke 8, 13 to say, the rocky soil, so it's another kind of soil. The rocky soil represents those who hear the message with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. They believe for a while, but then they wilt when the hot winds of testing blow. <sighs> have you ever thought maybe that you should eat better? I have. Maybe I should eat better. I read a book or saw something on TV, possibly right, or looked at the scale and said, man, I got to eat better. And I really meant it. I really meant it. And then, you know what happens? You have a hectic day, and the easiest way is to get dinner maybe at McDonald's. Who stops at McDonald's? Yeah, you're a bunch of liars, man. Um, I don't even know if they have the signs anymore. There's like a billion served. And every time I've ever mentioned McDonald's in a sermon, everyone goes, well, I don't go to McDonald's. Someone's going to McDonald's. Some of you go to McDonald's, okay? It's okay. You're not a bad person if you eat McDonald's. I, double cheeseburgers, I love them. You're not bad. But it's not the most healthy food, right? But you're having a hectic day and you just stop somewhere, McDonald's or somewhere else of your choice, just to get something quick because it makes your day a little easier and better. Or possibly you get home from work, it's been a tough day, bad day, people treated you bad, and, and you like, kind of drown your sorrows in a bag of Cheetos. Anybody? Maybe not Cheetos, but something. Ice cream, right? I, nobody. Uh, me, I do. I do. I, I don't like that about myself, but it, do, you know, do you know you can have whipped cream for a snack? Do you, have, you know all you got to do is you shake it up and you squirt it in your mouth? It's not that bad. It, so if you're desperate, if you're, I need something sweet, if you're desperate, just keep this in the fridge and it's like, boom, 10 seconds, you got something sweet, you're good to go. Or maybe, maybe you're like me and you start looking for the five food groups of desperation. You know what the five food, food groups of desperation are? Number one, chocolate ice cream. Don't have chocolate ice cream? Maybe you have chocolate sauce. If you don't have chocolate sauce, maybe you have chocolate frosting in the cabinet that someone never used to make a cake. Or possibly even chocolate jimmies. They're not the best, but it's still chocolate. Has anyone ever been desperate enough to eat the chocolate jimmies? You're all too healthy? How about this? Here's my favorite. Hershey's chocolate morsels. Yes? Now we got some. Good, because sometimes you just need chocolate, and a lot of times they're in the house in case someone wants to make chocolate chip cookies. The five food groups of desperation. I had intentions to eat better. But then life comes in. I'm struggling. My intentions weren't deep enough. So and I went back to like an old habit. Jesus says that also happens with him. That some people hear about him and are excited at first, but then they just kind of wilt away when troubles come. That's the second type of soil, our person that he describes. And I have to tell you, I've seen it so many times over my 20 years in ministry, so many times where someone's doing really well and then life struggles come in, like they do for all of us at times, job struggles, life struggles, relationship struggles, health struggles. We all have them. They're going to come. If they haven't yet, they're coming. And the bad things come and you just kind of wilt away from God. But there's another type of soil that, that I've seen that's even more insidious. This third type of soil, our person, according to God, is in Luke 8, 14. Jesus says, the thorny ground, the thorny soil, the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow up. They never grow to maturity. So Jesus is talking about good things that come into your life and distract you from having a relationship with him. 
good things. Maybe it's your golf game. Maybe it's a promotion at work. Good things. Maybe it's fishing. For me, it was fishing. Uh, years and years ago, I tournament bass fished, and, and I did relatively well and got a boat from a sponsor and, and rods and reels and all that junk. <clears throat> but a lot of tournaments are on Sunday. A lot of tournaments are on Sunday. What are you going to do, go to church or go to a fishing tournament? It was a, a tough thing to figure out. It took me a couple years to, to find a good balance back in the day. Maybe you make the team, and now you always have to go to team stuff on Sundays, right? Good things. Jesus says this happens with him. <coughs> Sorry. People can accept him, truly believe in him, and then they get preoccupied by even good things in life. And they never really begin to live the life that they could have if they truly wanted to follow him. I've seen that happen even way more than struggles. That's how the devil works, actually. The devil's not some big, ugly monster that's chasing you around. You'd run away. You'd run right to God. Instead, you can be tempted by really good stuff, just like Jesus was tempted. The devil took Jesus out and tempted him with good stuff. We get tempted the same way. That's why that story's in the Bible. So sometimes you can be tempted by good things, and in the end, they sort of drag you away from God. Maybe it's a relationship. Right? You're excited, you meet this new person, you begin a relationship, and at first they want to go to church and stuff, and then over time they don't, and then you go less and less, and then you don't go at all. Great new relationship, but it could drag you from God. It happens all the time. So, that's the third type of soil. I don't want that to describe me. I don't want either of those to describe me. Verses 13 and 14, I don't want that. I don't want that for me, I don't want it for you. <clears throat> Instead, I want this final verse to describe me, and I want to describe you. It's Luke 8, 15. Jesus mentions one more kind of person. Let's finish by reading this. It says, <clears throat> But the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's message, cling to it, <clears throat> and steadily produce a huge harvest. Jesus taught that one of two things could happen when we hear about him. And he says we have two identities to choose from as we stand before God. There are people that hear Jesus' message and choose to follow him. <clears throat> they produce a huge harvest. I don't know if you ever heard there's a verse that says, I'm sorry, once again. <coughs> they produce a huge harvest. There's a verse that says you can judge a tree by its fruit. You can judge a tree, right? An apple tree makes apples, a pear tree makes pears. Jesus, again, is talking about nature and farming and all that stuff. You can judge based on what the tree produces. You can also understand who a person is by what they produce. There should be a harvest. Maybe you're much more kind than you used to be. Maybe you serve others more than you used to. Maybe you teach others. Maybe you're generous. There's all kind of great ways to have fruit based on who you are. And all of ours are different. That's why it's beautiful to be in a church family because together we cover all of it. It's cool. Where's your harvest? If you are a follower of Jesus, where's your harvest? Jesus himself says, if you follow him, you will produce a harvest. So consider for yourself, where's my harvest? And if you don't have a great harvest yet, think about how you can. And then he says other people choose not to listen. Because one of three possible reasons, right? A hardened heart, they're just not interested. Struggles with life, struggles come or testings come. Or maybe too much interest in activities or possessions or worldly stuff. 
Which soil of the four? Which soil have you been so far? Which do you want to be? Right? Don't drag your past into your future. Your future can be anything you want it to be. Past mistakes, past attitudes, past thoughts, they don't matter anymore. God's not worrying about them. You shouldn't either. You can start your new life right now. You can be anything you want before God right now. And all the past goes away. So what future is it that you want for yourself? What soil is it that you want to be? That's a question only you can answer. At the beginning, I talked about being born again. Lots of people know about it. You, you, I'm sure Aaron talks about it a lot. To be born again, to be part of God's family, all you have to do is say a prayer and say, God, I believe in your son. I want to be part of your family. I'm sorry, I've made some mistakes. And you become part of God's family. It's amazing. But then, it's like a one-time thing. You just got to do it once. But then, God encourages us in the Bible to keep praying, keep talking to him all the time. And that's for all of us. Because as people who have chosen to follow Jesus, weeds pop up in our lives. Stuff happens. Stuff distracts you. Stuff needs to be cut away. And that's for you and God to figure out. No pastor can tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. But you can talk to God just like anybody else. You don't got to go to seminary to talk to God. Just talk to him. God, what do I need to cut out? And if you're not sure, ask him again. And ask him again until you are sure. What would be good for me, God, to become all you want me to be? It doesn't matter what kind of soil you've been so far. God will repot you. If you're into gardening or flowers or whatever, plants in your home, it can be super healthy to replant one, right? They kind of get bound up and stuff, and then someone replants them, and they grow even bigger and healthier. That's you and I. Sometimes along the way, you just need a bigger pot. You need to be replanted. You need new nutrients. Maybe that's you today. You might need those nutrients to produce the harvest that God is talking about. Maybe you get in a group here at church. Maybe you come to church more often. Maybe you go to some other great church. I don't know. But you need nutrients. You need to be healthy. You can get serious about your spiritual growth today. You can. Everyone can. Everyone. Anyone. I should say anyone can, according to Jesus. You can get serious today. If you're simply open and truly willing, not just here, everybody hears, doesn't mean anything, but are you truly willing to listen and then understand? If you are, if you're willing. Don't, don't fake it with God, but if you're willing, if you're not willing, you can just bow your head and you know, like rest for a minute. But if you are willing, I'm going to say a prayer. It's a two-part prayer. In the first part, if you've never told God you want to follow his son, I'll say that for you. You can say it along in your heart with me. If you're a person who's already said that, in the second part of the prayer, I'm going to say something about we want to be used by you. I want to produce some sort of harvest. Help me do that, okay? So that's what I'm going to pray about so you know exactly what I'm going to say. If you want to pray with me, bow your heads and I'll say the words for all of us. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you that you make your intentions so clear in Scripture. Thank you, Jesus, that you tell us exactly what you mean. God, there are some of us here in this room right now that for the first time we want to tell you we do believe. We've known sort of who your son is. We respected him. But now, God, we're telling you we want to follow him. 
Thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family simply for our desire to follow your son. And then, Lord, for all of us who have said that prayer at some point in our life, please, Lord, help us grow. Repot us if necessary. Help us get the right nutrients. Help us grow, God, so we can produce the harvest for you that you promise for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.